0: That will arrive to a new world. And good evening from Los Angeles. This is your host, Michael Benner. And we're ready for this week's episode of the Fearless Intelligence, Self-Awareness, and Leadership Workshop. We started this, uh, well, this is number six, so it's been six weeks since we began this series. We're live from Los Angeles, but of course, many of you are listening on demand to the podcast, which streams through the iTunes store. A really good app for Android and iOS is Stitcher, but there are uh, numerous podcast apps and websites that you can Choose to listen to the podcast of this program whenever it pleases you. However, if you're able to join us live on Sunday evenings, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 Eastern, I think it's 3 in the morning, Greenwich Mean Time, we'd love to have you. Whether online where you can ask text questions using the box on the webpage or by telephone, in which case you can participate live, you can make a comment or ask a question, talk to me or even other listeners, and you signal that by pressing star 2 on the telephone touchpad. Also, you'll notice in the newsletter that we supply you every week, there is a, a link to a list of all alternative or alternate, that's the word I want, alternate telephone numbers all around the world. So if you're concerned about toll calls, that's not an issue for a lot of people anymore. But if it is, you can find a number in your area and avoid toll calls. We're going to talk tonight about some basics, and let me remind you, if you're new to this, or if you used to listen to the Ageless Wisdom podcast and you're wondering what's this new thing, this self-awareness and leadership webinar about, well, it's a response, really, to an enormous demand we had immediately after the November election in the U.S. and the shocking result of... uh, this Donald Trump character. And again, I want to emphasize, I feel I need to emphasize, and my apologies if you get tired of hearing me say this over and over again, but we really are non political. I'm not interested, at least not in this format, in rebuilding the Democratic Party or what happened to Hillary Clinton, where is she, and what did she do wrong of analyzing the politics of any of this. I don't think of Dr. King, or Gandhi, or the suffragettes, or the abolitionists, for that matter, as being political. Of course, their work impacted politics and government and everything else about current events, but they were coming from a moral and ethical place. These are dictates of the conscience, and so many people I know feel this way, but they can't, you know, they just can't seem to find the right words, and if nothing else, that's one of my goals in this workshop, is to help you find the words to say to friends and family, work associates, other people you encounter at the health club or whatever, who are living in a binary world where if you resist Trump, then they start talking about what a bad, untrustworthy person Hillary Clinton was. And I'd like to help you say, no, I'm not into this from a political point of view. It's not about politics. It's about decency and civility. It's about the threat to democracy that this man poses. Remember, those of us in the U.S. are very well aware of this, but I think it's good to remind everybody in the world that's listening to this, again, whether live or by podcast, Donald Trump is not a Republican. For most of his life, he was a Democrat. If anything, he's an opportunist. He's not a politician. He doesn't have political positions. He hasn't revealed his taxes. He's not divesting himself of any of his business interests. If anything, this is a marketing opportunity for him. That's primarily what he's about, is making money, acquiring money, living in a castle in the sky surrounded by gold. And he loves power and he's attracted to dictators. And that does not bode well for democracy. We have this uh, relationship with Russia and the dictator Putin, who's been in office for 16 or 17 years now. And that seems to be based in finance. We don't know how many tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars Trump owes Putin and the Russian oligarchs. You know, when the Soviet Union broke apart, and Russia reoriented its society. There were a handful of people that made extraordinary amounts of money, basically assuming what the state had done. And they took advantage of a good old boy network that was built around the KGB and the military, and that's Putin. He was the (laughs) the head of the KGB. So... The goodies were passed out, here's a billion for you, here's two billion for you. Hey, you're a close friend, here's three billion for you. And that's who basically runs the Soviet Union. Not unlike the United States in many ways. I know this argument was often made on the Internet. Michael, you're getting sucked into this trap of choosing good billionaires over bad billionaires. And I understand the influence of extremely wealthy people on government and politics, but there still is something called our Constitution. There is still a Bill of Rights in the United States that Russia does not have. There are, until recently, free and fair elections, which is something that Russia does not have. And we can argue foreign policy, but again, that's really not my interest. Our interest in doing this webinar is helping you cope from the point of view of not politics, but emotional intelligence. You're all mentally intelligent, but... We can all benefit from emotional intelligence. That's why I call this the Fearless Intelligence Self-Awareness and Leadership Workshop, because Fearless Intelligence, besides being the name of a book that I've written and um, finishing and will be available soon, is a way of describing emotional intelligence, of developing self-awareness of learning to manage our emotional feelings. That's really what it's about at the core. And then it radiates out and leadership and empathy and compassion and relationship management all follow. First the intrapersonal, then the interpersonal. And that's really the scope of why we're here is because The attack on democracy posed by the Trump administration, just two weeks now from inauguration, from taking power, is so significant that many people in the U.S. and indeed around the world are terrified. And fear by any name, whether it's big fear like panic and horror and terror, Or just small amounts of stress and anxiety and nervous apprehension causes pain. Every emotional pain, everything that hurts emotionally, they're called negative, but as you'll come to understand, it's not that they're unhelpful. They're actually, our our hurtful feelings are very helpful. They're called negative because they hurt. And they're symptoms of a psychological condition that needs our attention. So, understand that all of your anxiety, your anger, you may even describe it as hatred, your contempt, your disgust, uh, whatever words you attach to the feelings of stress and anxiety and fear that you're feeling, they're all symptoms of of what we do not understand, whether dangerous or not. Now, there are certain dangers posed. Donald Trump is going to have access to the nuclear codes, and he seems confused, according to well-documented reports, about why we can't use nuclear weapons. In a recent one-hour briefing with top security officials, according to the former Congressman Joe Scarborough, Trump on three different occasions said, if we have them, why can't we use them? And in his campaign, he said he would use nukes. He's willing to use nukes. Well, this takes us back to the Reagan administration 30 years ago in first strike nukes, and the idea of building extremely accurate nuclear weapons that can be used to begin a nuclear war, not in response, not as a deterrent, but used against hardened targets, which means other nuclear missile silos. And the insecurity of having a president who is exceedingly immature, has a tiny little vocabulary, and who's not very smart, not very worldly, is not interested in intelligence, refuses intelligence briefings because he doesn't want to know the truth, doesn't want to be confused by facts or other people's opinions. He's been winging it all of his life. And he's going to continue to do that. So that kind of instability, that kind of trepidation and uh, anxiety is something we all have to deal with, whether we're in America or anywhere else in the world, Europe or the Middle East or Asia, Africa, South America. This is a shrinking globe as climate change is made evident. And when it comes to international tensions, the likelihood of war, Donald Trump as the commander-in-chief, it's just absurd on the surface. It's difficult to get your brains around, to even accept without some degree of denial that it's even happening. It's just hard to believe. He's such a goofy, goofy guy. We have this emotional immaturity, this lack of sophistication, this complete disinterest in intelligence, information, and truth. And then we have the sociopathy, the narcissism, the extraordinary ego. There's no such thing, by the way, as a healthy ego. A big ego is not healthy. (laughs) A big ego is severely neurotic and borderline psychotic in some people because... They're motivated to say things and do things that are not in their interest and not in other people's interest. It's like uh, the guy with the swagger or the chip on his shoulder, the barroom bully. We've seen Trump bully his way right through the primary and then the convention with name-calling. Instead of policy, he's a name-caller. So bottom line, a lot of us are very anxious This is something that uh, most women and many men are willing to admit. But, of course, the dictates of masculinity are such in many parts of the world that a lot of guys don't like to admit that they are terrified or, or frightened. They might say, well, I have my concerns, but, again, a little or a lot. All of this uncertainty is stressful. It produces anxiety, whether you're willing to call it fear or not. It underlies every heartache, every hurt. And that's what we're here to talk about. Now, before I go any further, I want to mention that I have a guest scheduled for two weeks from tonight. I'm very excited to be able to present to you Andrew Harvey, who is a prolific author of over 30 books. And I've been interviewing Andrew for something like 15 years or more. And he's a remarkable man, Oxford-educated, British, born in India, and extremely well-educated, very sophisticated, and a very spiritual man who has written at least one book devoted to the concept of sacred activism. Again, what does it mean to be a spiritual activist or a sacred activist? Well, we're going to talk to Andrew about that two weeks from tonight on the 22nd. So you may want to circle your calendar. That would be a good time to listen live. Sunday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 300 hours GMT. Actually, it'll be the 23rd in that part of the world. But f- for America, it'll be Sunday night, January 22nd. Andrew Harvey will be our live guest, and he'll be taking phone calls from you and discussing sacred activism and what does it mean to be motivated by your heart more than your mind? To be motivated by, above all, your conscience, not just your consciousness, but that part of conscious awareness known as the conscience, part of you that knows right from wrong, that says, well, not only am I anxious and nervous, but I'm resisting Donald Trump and everything he stands for because it's a moral and ethical imperative that I do so. And we'll have other guests in the future as well to not only stimulate listenership, but to get more people hopefully involved in the live event and more people calling because it's really an exceptional listener that calls. So most people listen on demand. And then, of those that do listen live, very few listeners are ever going to how shall I say release their bashfulness enough to want to be on the air. but it's just you and me that's all you, it's just a regular telephone call it's <laughs> It's no big deal, but I think having guests, authors, experts, people like Andrew will help us in that regard. So that's coming up soon. I'm excited to tell you about that. This is a one-hour webinar, and I do want to uh, check in with you. So if you are on the telephone and have a question or a comment, star 2 on your telephone touchpad will indicate that to me. I can unmute you one at a time. And if you're listening live on the Internet, on the web, you can submit uh, any question in the text box on the uh, bottom of the page in front of you. Just remember to click the Submit button. It doesn't do any good if you type it in there and don't click the button. You've got to send it through. And we'll do that in a little while. So one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight, is equanimity. It's a wonderful word. It's even a more beautiful concept. It sort of tells you what it is. If you look at the root, the prefix, "equa" means equal. So, what is equanimity and what does that have to do with managing stress and anxiety and fear? What does that have to do with non-political, emotionally intelligent responses to the craziness of what we're moving into. How, how do I develop equanimity? It, just what is it? How do I develop it? How do I foster and maintain equanimity? How do I use it to manage my emotions? How does it influence my relationship with other people? So, let's talk a little about just the word, the concept. It's, I think, a a real good synonym for equanimity is balance. I think that's the first word that comes to my mind. And then I think of level-headed, even-tempered. How about if we go with level-headed and even-tempered? So, equanimity is the practice of staying in the center, not going to one extreme or another. Now, extremes are funny things, especially in philosophy, because often if we think in terms, for example, of a pendulum swinging, we might say, well... The pendulum swings between good and bad, between safety and danger. The pendulum swings between right and wrong. Well, actually, that's not true. The extremes of things are wrong and wrong. The extremes of things are bad in one way and excessive or bad In another way, and the truth or the rightness, the merit or the wisdom, understanding and truth and beauty is in the middle. It's the idea of the pendulum at rest, straight up and down. In esoterics, this is sometimes called the middle pillar, as if the outer pillars Represent the extremes as far this way as you can go and as far that way as you could go. But again, the extremes are not between good and bad or right and wrong or Republican and Democrat or liberal and conservative or capitalism and communism. It doesn't work that way. Extremes are to be avoided. And when the Emotional pendulum swings within you. You get off balance. You move off of your center. And whichever way the pendulum swings, in fact, we usually think of it in a two-dimensional sense, but the pendulum also goes around and around. So it could be left and right, forward and back, 360 degrees, but the model is important to understand because we want to stay toward the center. Now in many things, emotional or even mental, it's not a matter of just always being on the 50 yard line. I'm going to mix my metaphor a little bit here or being that dead-centered pendulum, you get to swing this way or that, you know, you get to go out and have fun, you get to be excited, it's okay to express anxiety one minute, and to be, you know, overjoyed, and um, enjoy hilarity the next minute, and a little bit over the top this way and a little bit out of control that way, well, that's just fine. That's what makes each of us human and unique individuals and, you know, that's how Jack avoids being a dull boy, so to speak. So, I'm not saying we should live our lives like monks in the midst of a meditation and always be perfectly calm and relaxed. You get to be excited and you get to be frightened. And the best way to deal with these emotions is to feel them fully and express them deliberately. And as you do that, you come back to the center, you feel the balance and you can focus that energy. Let's take anger, for example. Anger, I think, is a great example. Because we all know it, and in many ways, it's the king of negative emotions. It's the greatest of all, heartache. And the most likely to lead to regrettable behavior, along with its first cousin, hatred. Three or four weeks ago, we talked about the absurdity of fighting hatred with hatred and opposing anger with anger. And I pointed out that emotions are contagious. So if somebody is angry at you, and anger is threatening. I mean, from an evolutionary point of view, that's what anger is. It's a way of frightening your enemy, scaring the opponent. If you're angry at them, they're supposed to turn and run away. You're, you're scary. But it's also the very nature of emotions that, that they are infectious. They, they really are contagious. So what does anger do? If somebody's angry at you, when somebody expresses anger toward you, it's likely that your unconscious defense is to become angry too. And you both have this righteous anger going on and very quickly forget who started it. Although each will accuse the other of causing, you damn right I'm angry. <laughs> right? And yet, think of the Potential for doing and saying things that we later regret. Prisons are full of people, mostly men and a few women, who killed somebody because they got angry, and in this blind rage, listen to the word blind, it's not that they physically couldn't see for a minute or two. It just seemed that way. They were blinded by rage, blinded by their anger. They lashed out as if they were in great danger. In some cases they may have been, but usually it's an illusion. The danger is just in your imagination. And you do something regrettable. This is why... It's so dangerous in the United States because so many people have weapons, and when they're mad enough to use them, well, they use them. You see, that's the problem. Some guy that never intended to shoot his wife or his kids or his neighbor suddenly finds that in a fit of rage, that's exactly what he did. Now he's in prison for the rest of his life. You see, So, emotions are contagious. And when somebody around you is angry, you're going to be angry. And yet, that just doesn't work. Your anger is not going to quench their anger. It's going to promote anger. Anger builds on anger. And often, people who resist Trump and are opposed to the uncertainty of what we're moving into, the horrible potential of what could happen with somebody this mature and this uninformed at the helm. They accuse those who support Trump, the Trumpsters, will accuse people who are frightened of that potential of being haters. And we're saying, well, wait a minute, I thought, Donald Trump ran a campaign based on hate, racial hate, religious hate. All Mexicans are rapists and uh, Muslims are not to be trusted. We're going to spy on the mosques and have a, a registry and build a wall. And I guess Mexico's not going to pay for it now. You are. all of which mystifies me because the majority of immigrants and refugees that come to this country without papers come on airplanes. And so I don't get the wall. I, <laughs> I, I never really understood that. And the media doesn't seem to say, well, couldn't you fly over the wall, Donald? They just never seem to bring that up. And so it's not true that people who have contempt for hatred are haters, but it might seem that way. In fact, you may even have heard somebody say, I hate those people who are hating me. I hate hate. Well, that's absurd to hate hate. So you cannot drive out anger with anger. You're not going to conquer anything. You're going to compound the problem. And you're not going to defeat hate by being a better hater. So the pendulum swings, and these are the extremes. Equanimity is in the center, in the middle. Again, not necessarily dead center, the 50-yard line, but you've got to learn to... And here's where it really begins, the management tools, breathing and relaxing. Learning in the moment to take one or two or three or four nice, slow, deep breaths. And as you exhale, particularly, create and sense in your body a letting go feeling. What this does is cause the amygdala in the center of the limbic brain, this is called the lizard brain at the base of the skull, to feel as if you're actually safe. That your fear and your stress and its symptoms, in this case anger and hatred, are the result of what you do not know, of what you do not understand, the uncertainty of the situation and what might happen, whether dangerous or not. And the amygdala in the center of this lizard brain, this limbic brain, its job is to keep you alive and help you survive real clear and present danger. And right now the danger is a potential. What's really frightening is what we do not understand. And so the antidote is to understand it. That's equanimity. That's self awareness. It's understanding. That's the antidote to anger, that's the cure for hatred. That's what each of us needs to do, and we're going to talk more about doing this, about exercises in mindfulness. We're going to talk about the importance of knowing when to step forward and assert yourself, and also when it's important to hold back and think of time as being on your side. So I'd like to talk more about this, especially with you, if you're willing to put your question on the text page or raise your hand so far. I don't see any hands raised among those who are listening on the telephone. Let me check the uh, text box real quick, see if there's comments. I don't see any questions yet. But this is so important. I mean, just, if it's hard for you to relate to what I'm talking about in terms of being angry or hateful in dealing with the... Trump people who now think that it's okay to be politically incorrect, they now have license to express their racism and their hatred and their fear, and their hatred and their anger and their fear is causing you to feel similar feelings. And you think, yeah, but mine is justified because I'm the victim of their anger and hatred and fear. you got to remember, breathe. As you exhale, create and sense a sense of letting go feeling. This amygdala in the limbic brain will relax. Think of the pendulum as moving, not so far to the extreme, but just around the center <laughs> of being level-headed, even-tempered, centered, well-balanced, and much smarter, you see. You're not going to say regrettable things. You're less likely to do something that you regret when you breathe and relax. You know, Michelle Obama says, when they go low, we go high. Well, this is how to do that. How do you remain composed or regain your composure when there's a frightened, ignorant person screaming at you about the people in the world called them who are coming after us? I mean, you need to recognize the big, big part of the right-wing agenda beyond the idea of limited government and being fiscally conservative and balancing budgets and and uh, un, you know deregulating enterprise <laughs> all of these right-wing talking points, a big part of the base is simply fear and ignorance. Now I know to say that about Somebody who is other than you is, well, I, I, I run the risk of sounding arrogant or pompous, but it happens to be true. I mean, who's got all the guns, the hippies, the liberals? I don't think so. All, all <laughs> the, the guns are the right-wingers. Why do they have all these guns? Two-thirds of Americans have no weapons at all. We're we're safe. We feel safe. We're we're not threatened. Only one in three Americans have a gun, although there are more guns in America than there are people. So the people that have guns have lots of them, as if more guns are going to make them more safe. And, of course, anybody that does the study finds out that the people who are victims of violence tend to be the people who fixate on violence, who are afraid of violence, and willing to be violent to protect themselves from violence. And all fear is based on what you don't know, which is frightening and confusing, which creates more fear and more confusion and more anxiety and more ignorance. And you see the way the mental and emotional parts of fear and ignorance feed each other? More anxious, emotionally, more confused mentally, creates more anxiety and more confusion, more fear and more ignorance, and more fear and more ignorance, and grab a gun and Now, the enemy is anybody who doesn't look like you. Anybody that doesn't speak your language. Anybody that doesn't go to your church. Well, that's not conservative. That's reactionary. And it borders on neurosis and psychosis, it's a phobia. It has a name, xenophobia. By the way, Google says that that one of the biggest increases in words being searched in the last six months has been this word xenophobia, spelled with an X. If you have a hard hard time trying to find it, It's not Zeno with a Z, it's Zeno with an X. And essentially, it means fear of anything or anyone that is different from you. So, it's part and parcel of right-wing thinking beyond what it means to be a political conservative, to think that anybody that's different is bad, that there is a world of us and them, good guys and bad guys. War is a great example. You have opponents shooting at each other, both of whom are convinced that God is on their side. God wants you to kill Armies have preachers, ministers, priests, imams, rabbis, gurus, holy men, shaman, to pray for them. And to petition the gods, the sky gods, or the sky god, to support them in battle. Crusaders or jihadists. And they think they're opposite, but it's like it's like that mad magazine cartoon, spy versus spy. So opposite that they're identical. They have more in common than difference. And so what often is seen as an opposite is a mere image of you. And there is some of that in left versus right in conservative versus liberal. But there's many ways of looking at this where that falls apart. And while there have been instances of violence on the left, we can go back to the sixties. We almost have to go back to the sixties and the SLA, the Symbionese Liberation Army and uh, a handful of violent anti-war actions, the bombing of the math building in Madison, Wisconsin in the early seventies or, or late sixties. Uh, there, there are incidents where the extreme left will behave violently, but they pale in comparison to the violence on the right. And, and, Not to excuse it, but a great deal of left-wing violence is precipitated by provocateurs who are police agents or government agents that are designed to promote, or provoke that violent activity. So I wouldn't say all violence is on the right. But. The idea of being a reactionary, of being frightened by anything that is different, while you will find that all across the political spectrum, left as well as right, it's not, it's not equal is <laughs> not even close. The left is much more tolerant of diversity. In fact, not, not only tolerant, but willing to embrace and promote diversity, to see people who are different as a resource that we can draw upon, that, that makes us better and smarter and richer and all better off, where the right tends to congregate with like-minded people and be frightened of anything that's different. So I have to be careful about using too broad a brush. I always have. In 40 years of doing radio talk shows and writing commentaries and, and then doing the news as well. So it's not always true, but it's largely true. And the important point here is not who's right and who's wrong. But we cannot as progressives, as resistors, as protesters, as disruptors, use the tactics of the right to defeat the right. We also have this odd, the right is not right. (laughs) The the connotations of the word right are ironic and paradoxical. Dr. King said it well. I I brought it up in the very first webinar that we did six weeks ago. He said, uh, I have to paraphrase this, I don't have it written down, but it was... uh, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hatred cannot defeat hatred. Only love can do that. But he's not talking about emotional love or romantic love. He's talking about love as self awareness. He's talking about love as understanding. This is spiritual love. Love your enemies' love is not about walking up to somebody that wants to shoot you and give them a big hug and a kiss on the lips. It's about asking yourself, why are they my enemy? What have I done to upset them? What is it they do not understand that has made them frightened such that I feel a similar in some ways opposite, and in some ways identical fear and uncertainty. And as a leader, I have to initiate the resolution because they're not going to do it. The right wing is not going to resolve the anxiety and the stress. They're promoting the divisiveness, the division. the fragmentation of society. A friend of mine, from many years ago, found himself involved, re-involved, is maybe a better word, in a, a religious movement a born-again evangelical religious movement. And somebody sent me a link to a video on YouTube recently of this friend of ours speaking in a church. And they were mocking the idea of coexistence And saying, you know those people that have that bumper sticker with all the different religious symbols? There is the Christian cross, and the Jewish star of David, and the Islamic crescent and moon, or star and crescent moon. And the uh, eight-pointed wheel for Buddhism, and the Om sign for the Hindus, and... You know those bumper stickers that say coexist? Boy, I hope you don't have one of those on your car. Because we're Christians and we're right and everybody else is wrong. We know God. Jesus is God, our personal Savior. Well, it's fine to believe that. Have at it. Love your religion. Go for it. It brings you peace peace. But religion has to be about love. It has to be about inclusiveness. And if your religion, which you say is about love and love everybody, is really oppositional in nature and pointing at differences rather than what we have in common and creating fear, then you have a conflict, you have a real problem. How can you be a spiritual person and be threatened by the idea of coexistence? I have seven minutes before the top of the hour, so if you have a comment or a question, this would be, this would be the time to pass it through. I do have a couple of comments from uh, Gig Harbor, Washington. Mm-hmm. Boy, I'm going to zoom into this. My eyes sometimes make it hard for me to read. This fellow, Brad, says, Michael, this is not about racism. This is about a rebellion from the status quo where the U.S. government has turned into a machine of corruption. As you mentioned, Trump is not a Republican, He is a liberal Democrat. Well, (laughs) he has been in the past, but not a very well-educated or well-informed liberal. Uh, Donald Trump does not strike anyone as being particularly intelligent. Well, it is about racism, Brad. I'm sorry. You and I will just have to disagree when you say Mexicans are rapists and Muslims are the problem. You talk about Islamic terrorism. I mean, imagine if everybody in America that committed a murder was called a Christian murderer or a Christian terrorist. Or maybe some Jewish fellow goes out and shoots his wife or his neighbor over the back fence. The news people don't call them Jewish terrorists. Right, that little white racist kid, that Klan kid in uh, where was it, South Carolina, that killed all those people. And Church sat with those black people in church, prayed with them in church, then whipped out a gun and bang, 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 started shooting them. The racist, the Klan supports Donald Trump. Get it clear. This is part of fascism. This is part of what the Nazis were about. It's what my father and many other dads and uncles and women too fought against in World War II, was white supremacy and racism. To pretend it's not about racism, that Trump's election is only some reaction to corrupt government, well, here comes the new boss, same as the old boss. I'll be the first to admit that government is corrupt, that all of our institutions have been corrupted. Who can you trust? The media? Well, of course not. Your church? Well, you better make sure the priest doesn't rape your little children. Schools? Corporations? You trust corporations? State government? Ask the people of Flint, how's their water? All of our institutions are corrupt. But you don't bring in an even more corrupt, new form of ignorant corruption. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what happened in Italy, in Germany, in the 30s. Corruption goes hand-in-hand hand with dictatorship and vice versa. So you can, you can focus on that little sliver of what's happening, and I understand that. I'll be the first to admit that a big part of the Trump vote was people who held their nose, looked the other way, overlooked the misogyny, the criminal sexual assault, the six bankruptcies, the racism against Mexicans, the bigotry against Muslims, and said, well, all we need is a little fresh air, some change. You know that Hillary, don't really trust her because of the email. So I'm going to put this emotional infant with a 200-word vocabulary who quotes... Breitbart, and the National Enquirer as credible news sources. In the office, that's what we're terrified of. This is not political. This is about morality. At least in this context, think what you wish. Go where you will. Feel what you feel. Think what you think. But the purpose of this webinar is not to get bogged down in those kinds of rationalizations, with all due respect, or opposing, or taking you by the hand to the top of the mountain so you can see the much bigger picture that you don't want to look at. If indeed you voted for Trump and you're dealing with shame and guilt and embarrassment, well, I understand that. But you can't take a little tiny sliver of the whole pie and say, this is what's happening. This is what it's about. No, that's not why people are terrified. That's not why hundreds of thousands of people are going to Washington on January 20th dressed in black. That's not why millions of people wear safety pins to show their solidarity with refugees and immigrants That's not why people are planning to register as Muslims if there's going to be a Muslim registry. Not about becoming a Muslim, but are you old enough to have seen I'm Spartacus? That kind of thing. I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. I'm a Muslim. This is, we're going to continue to disrupt and protest and resist The erosion of democracy and the threat of fascism and bigotry in this country. And Brad, if you want to focus on this tiny little sliver, well, we were just, uh, you know, we were just disappointed with how corrupt everything is. And so we voted for a crazy guy. Sorry. (laughs) That's not going to, doesn't cut it with me. But I do appreciate you being here. It's a beautiful part of the world, by the way, Gig Harbor. I envy you. And uh, Alan Robson, who's up very late tonight in uh, Cheshire, England, says As an Englishman, it's difficult to have an influence over U.S. political activity, even if one is well informed and morally strong. How can we control our fears? When we have no influence, U.S. politics affects all democracies. Love the show. Thanks, Helen. Yeah, the way we felt impacted by Brexit, because old alliances are being broken. And the Putin-Trump agenda is about breaking these Western alliances. Russia doesn't have the ability to build itself up. It has a gross national product the size of Italy. It's almost a one-crop economy, relies on oil and petroleum products, and doesn't make anything else. What do you own made in Russia? Nothing. All right? So the only way that they can be a world power again is to break the Western alliance, to bust up NATO. And apparently... Because Trump owes them tens of millions, perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars. They're extorting from him, you could say blackmailing his cooperation. He's, as Lenin would say, the useful idiot that Putin is using to create a new alliance. And that alliance has as its intention busting up NATO. And everything that it represents, the U.S. and Europe, democracies working together supporting each other. And uh, that's about as political as I'm going to get. Your question, how can we control our fear? Equanimity, right? How do we bring it about? A few slow, deep breaths and a feeling of letting go. You say, that can't really be a response to what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, it really is where you begin. That alone will make you smarter. To feel safer and more relaxed in your own body will make you more aware, will provide greater insight and understanding, will empower you and allow you to realize opportunities to act here. And to, rather than react, move assertively and initiate action here and there and here, doing whatever we can do. And since I'm pretty much out of time, let me add to that, Ellen. Forming, as I discussed last week Urgent action teams. What are urgent action teams? Nothing formal about it. An urgent action team is a network of your friends. And you create a group on Facebook or you get a, uh, a group in your WhatsApp app for urgent actions so that if something comes down, you can act quickly And in our case, call our congressman. In your case, call your member of parliament. To go to the protest, to join the boycott, to educate the ignorant neighbor down the block, to listen to other people, the more important than propagandizing and shouting down and arguing with other people is listening to them and acknowledging what you hear them say, so that then in response, you can fill in the blanks, educate, enlighten, and uplift. So we do everything. We do anything to resist. Wear the safety pin. People say, why have you got a safety pin on your shirt? Hey, dude, what's that safety pin on your jacket all about? You say, well, it represents safety. It it means that people can safely approach me if they're refugees, if they're minorities, if they're women, if they're afraid. For any reason, they can approach me. That's what the safety pin means. It started in Europe and is spreading to the United States. We're going to talk more next week about the specific activities on January 20th to disrupt the inauguration of uh, Donald Trump. We're going to talk about the Women's March on the 21st, about wearing black, about doing everything. But tonight's lesson is equanimity, breathe, and as you exhale, relax and bring yourself back to the center, find that balance. All right? Level-headed, even-tempered. That's a means of fostering and maintaining the highest level of intelligence, awareness, insight, and understanding that you could possibly create. Don't let yourself get knocked off balance by the contagious nature of uh, negative emotions, hostility and anger and such. Well, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. That's all the time we have. We're going to duck out of here. We went over a few minutes. Remember, this program will be podcast. The replay will be available in about 20 minutes on the same event page. And then a couple of days down the line, I'll have the podcast posted through the iTunes store. Stitcher is a great app to use and pretty much any other podcast directory on the internet. Except for rare occasions, we'll be here every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Pacific in the U.S., 10 p.m. New York time. Oh, three hours, Greenwich. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner. So long.